Hello, dental online trainers, and welcome to the Dental Online Training Sharecast. I'm your host, Dr. Dennis Hartley. Each month, we'll talk with dental experts who are doing amazing work in the world of dentistry. Also, occasionally, I'm going to throw in a few of my solo bonding sharecasts where I share a little with you about what I've learned along the way during my career. So tune in the first Tuesday of every month to hear the latest episodes. Hello, Dental Online Trainers, Dr. Dennis Hartley, back with you with another exciting ShareCast interview. Today, I am super fortunate to be hanging out with Tracy Wen. Tracy is a restorative dentist down in the northern suburbs of Virginia, and she's killing it. She's killing it. So for everybody out there who is like, I don't have time, I don't have the energy, I can't figure out how to pay for these courses, let me tell you about Tracy. Tracy is a fellow of the AGD, right? Uh, yes. Fellow of the AGD. She is an accredited member of the AACD, the Cosmetic Association, the American Academy of Cosmetic Dentistry. She is a member of the International College of Oral Implantologists, right? Mm-hmm. ICOI. She is, she's gone through COISES uh, programs. And she is an, uh, a faculty member with the Airway Group at the Spear Institute. So for all of you that are sitting back and saying, I don't have time, I don't have the energy, you ought to listen to Tracy, because we're going to talk about what it takes to be able to do, be doing things at the top of her game. Now, the reason I invited Tracy onto the, to our ShareCast is I got to see her at the Restorative Academy, the ARD, this past February. And she did a beautiful presentation on airway and how... Um, we can help manage airway for our restorative dentistry and things we have to understand about adult airway, though she also does a lot with, uh, with pediatric airway. So my, my goal for today is for us to start to understand a little bit about airway. And if you want to learn more about airway, Rebecca Balkow, we talked to her recently, so you can listen to Rebecca's interview as well. But we want to just sort of get an understanding of, first of all, Tracy, where you started out, I know you went to, to Commonwealth, Virginia. Uh, Virginia Commonwealth for your dental school. Yes. Mm-hmm. So tell me first, well, first of all, thank you for joining us for our sharecast. I should say that. Thank you. Yo, you're welcome. I appreciate the invitation. I'm so glad you love the ARD presentation because I was so nervous. I even forgot my name in the first round. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> if, if you haven't been to an American Academy Restorative Dental meeting, it is one of the most intimidating dental organizations <laughs> I, I told people when I first started going, I felt like I was walking to a banker's convention because everybody's wearing suits. Everyone's dressed in their three-piece suits. Women are dressed to the nines. And it's and it's kind of the who's who of, of the dental world. Uh, Frank Spear and John Coyce and Dawson, yeah. um, who's passed, he was a member. Just all sorts of, all the, all the regal people in dentistry are members. And so you walk in and you're just aghast at the, at, at the who's who. And then to present in front of this group, and especially in the small format where everyone can come up and ask you questions, yeah. is super scary and intimidating. So you're not alone. I remember when I did mine. And uh, yeah, it's, I, as I always say, if you're going to do these things, make sure you, you wear, wear dark pants because <laughs> you never know. Yeah. 100%. So, so Tracy, uh, how, why are you a dentist? How did you get into dentistry? 
Uh, you know, it's funny because um, I am not one of those people that I, I wanted to be a dentist at five years old. You know, <laughs> it was um, it kind of really just fell in my lap in college. You know, like I I was really confused in college, and I tried almost everything. And then my aunt was like, "Well, why don't you become a dentist?" And I'm always kind of like, "Okay." So <laughs> then I went to dental school. Was your aunt in dentistry? No, she was just telling me just telling me certain types of careers. So when you're an undergrad. So you're, where'd you go for your undergrad? I went to my undergrad at Mason, George Mason University. Yeah. And I think George Mason's kill, killing it in football these days. I don't know. I know they got to the final four in basketball like yeah. years back. Yeah. They're, they're, they're an athletic powerhouse. You're an undergrad. So tell me what, what it was like as an undergrad as you're trying to figure out your, your, you know, your future, what you're looking at. What were you looking at? You know, it was crazy because... At that time, I was just really confused. I mean, I, I, I took an international law class because I wanted to travel. Then I went into accounting and marketing and psychology. I mean, it was crazy. Um, but what ended up happening was I started working for a dentist in college, in undergrad. And um, she was practicing to get her boards in California. And she kind of just took me under her wing as her dental assistant. And that's when I was like, you know, I can do this. This is not bad, you know? So... Um, I was her dental assistant in undergrad, and when I went to dental school, I always came home because VCU is um, about a two-hour drive from home, so I would come home on the weekends and work, and so that's where I kind of developed my skill. So dental school was me for me was like pretty like easy and fast because I learned a lot of the the clinical stuff in already in the dental office as an assistant, um, and so when I got out of dental school. I went to work for them for two years and, um, amazing, amazing practice, um, great mentors. Uh, but what ended up happening was I, after two years, you know, I was kind of tired of being an associate, you know, I was like, I wanted to own, I wanted some, I wanted more education. I wanted more mentorship, taking courses that, you know, like I wanted to take and not like, not to have a budget. You know, I felt like I was, my education and my growth was very limited. Yep. Um, so when I approached them and I felt like the only way that I could grow was if one, I needed more money <laughs> um, and to be a partner. And um, unfortunately um, that wasn't really on the table. And so it was really hard for me to leave them because I was with them through undergrad and dental school. I was with them for 10 years. Um, And then, so I said, well, I need to continue growing. Um, And so I left them. uh, So I graduated 2002 and I left them around like 2004, 2005. And then I basically, I bought an existing practice that was like 1400 square feet out in Loudoun County. Um, so if you're familiar with like my area, Loudoun County was like nothing. And then all of a sudden it became like the fastest growing County in, in the, in the country, you know, timing is everything. I came in like when there was nothing and then I was able to grow it. So amazingly, I mean, I took a $300,000 gross practice to like a million in, in three, three years. You wow. know? So there's so much growth and, um, it was a two, it was a 1400 square feet office. Um, I basically outgrew it in a couple of years. And so in 2009, I bought an even bigger space and which is my current space now. And I needed to own. Um, so, oh my gosh. So, you know, 
at 2005, nobody was willing to give me a loan. So, you know, you had to like sell your firstborn to get that loan. I, I know that. Um, but um, I found, you know, in 2009, I upgraded, got a bigger office, went from 1,400 square feet to 2,400 square feet. So now I um, have, a, you know, it's two doctor office with me and my partner, Steve, Stephen Frames. Uh, we have about 10 total, 10, 10 team members and seven ops. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's good. I mean, I, I'm really happy. I like to, you know, I mean, I have my stresses, but you know, it, dentistry has been good. And again, you know, you, my mission was I needed growth. So I want to talk about, about that. So when, so, you know, the, the journey that you've gone through in your practice and stuff, you look back when you're in dental school. So in undergrad, you're, you're trying to find yourself yeah. And your aunt says, what about dentistry? And why did she think dentistry was going to be right for you? Like, how did, like, what did she see in you that thought that you would be great in dentistry and dentistry would be great for you? So, you know, and, and this is a very stereotypical, also very true, but um, Asian families, you either have to be a doctor or a lawyer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yep. you need to sure. be in that realm. In the know? professional and world, I, right? I didn't feel like I didn't want to go to med school. There was there was no passion for that. And so my aunt had a lot of dental friends that were like pretty well off. They're successful. Like, you know, she was like, so-and-so is a dentist. It was, it was so funny because she's like, it doesn't look that hard. You should be a dentist. And I was like, okay. When you started observing and assisting in the dental practice, so this is when you're an undergrad. Yeah. What, what, what attracted you to dentistry? Like, what was it about dentistry that you looked at and said, this would be great. This, I could see myself coming in doing this for my lifetime. What, what was it about it? You know, I think, you know, to be perfectly honest, um, Starting off, I was just looking at it as like, okay, this seems like this is um, could be a very stable career. I really didn't have the, I didn't see any excitement in dentistry. I just felt like this is a stable career, you know, like sure. this is going to get my head out of like whatever and be less confused. And I need, I need some kind of direction. And so that was my path. And, you know, and as I started to be in the clinic and work with patients, I was like, okay, you know, I can do this. I'm good at this. I can talk to patients, but I still didn't have that drive. I probably didn't have that drive until I went out on my own, you know, until I had that chance to go out on my own. So every, probably the first two, three years was more of like, just getting bills paid, just being efficient, you know? And I think that is probably what most new grads are thinking. They're like, I just need to get by and get paid. But I truly did not start to feel satisfied in this profession until I got my own practice and probably until I joined the AACD. So you're, you've graduated dental school, you go back to the practice where you, where you've been assisting and you, and it's a familiar area. You like yeah. the team, you like the doctor. And at that point, the dentistry that you're seeing in that practice, that was sort of that they were doing sort of bread and butter general yes. dentistry, I'm presuming. Yep. Yeah. So sort of a continuation of dental school, essentially, right? Sort of yes. sort of single tooth dentistry, maybe some bridges, but essentially a pretty, pretty common restorative dentistry or general dental practice. Yes. All right. So here's here's the thing that I'm curious about is. You're, you're in that practice and you, at some point, a light goes off that you want more, that, that you're, you're feeling like there's more out there. 
you want to learn more. Do you remember what, like, what set that? What ignited that? What, what, what lit the lit the flame? You know, I think it was probably. I, I just didn't feel like I was doing any big cases. Like I, I didn't, I didn't get the chance to do all the fun big cases as a as the new associate. I mean, I just did like what whatever was on my schedule. Sure. So you're doing you single know? tooth dentistry. You're doing some simple restorations, yeah. main main endo. What was interesting because, like you know, we also had a prosthodontist in the office, and um, I got to see a lot of what she was doing. And so, any time that there was like a bonding case, cosmetic case, anything like that, like I wasn't not not saying that I, I was proficient enough to do it, but I wasn't given the opportunity to do it mm-hmm. or try or you know try to do it. And as I started and my CE budget that they were covering me to classes, I like it was. I want to say like 500 bucks, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, can you imagine taking like your CE budget is $500 for the year? And, and just, just like, a case in point for people interested in dental line training, that's half a year here. Or if you catch our <laughs> sale coming up in the, for our black Friday, or it's one third of a full year. So it's very affordable to join our DOT and learn virtually, but go ahead. $500. <laughs> that's a good start towards your DOT education, but continue on. So, yeah, I just didn't really feel like I was growing. But yeah. what ended up happening is like, I one, I, I felt like the work that I was doing, I wasn't getting paid at the level that I was doing it for. Okay. Um, and so what I mean that it was a very insurance driven practice. So, you know, when we do bondings, we spend quite a bit of time to do it. But it came down to like, hey, Tracy, you can't spend more than an hour or two to do those bondings. You're mm-hmm. only getting paid like two, 200 bucks for it. Right. And it was just, there was this struggle between what I can, what I can deliver and how I was getting paid. And then at the same time, um, I didn't feel that I had enough education or training to do some of those cases. For sure. So hence like the no growth. And I felt right. like the only way I could grow one is is that if I become a partner, then I can kind of choose what courses I need to take. I can choose my growth. And at the same time, the whole practice, the practice can benefit. Um, I want to be involved in some of the decision makings. I remember that. um, So in 2004, my father passed away and, you know, um, I, I hit this roadblock and I was just like, time is so short. You and know, that's so like, 2004, you had been, you graduated in 2002. So you had been in practice for two years, two years. Yeah. So yeah. in two, that, October, 2004, my father passed away. And that's when I, like, when he passed away, I told myself, I was like, I'm not going to wait for anybody to like, if I want to do something, I have to do it myself. Mm-hmm. You know, like I can't sit here and keep on asking to grow. If I want to grow, I have to grow, you know? And so at that, I still remember, I was like, the next day I told them, I said, you have to make me partner. If you don't make me partner, I, I have to find another office. Sure. And, and I, and it was crazy because it's like, they're sitting here, like she's supposed to be grieving. And, and then she comes to us and say like, I'm out, you know? And it's funny how, like when we grieve, how we change our focus. Absolutely. You know? And so, um, and the crazy thing is, and again, it, it's, it's about timing that um, when they were, when I brought it to them, they weren't exactly like, yeah, you know, they're like, let me think about it. 
And so when they said, let me think about it and just the tone, the, the body language, I was like, this is not happening. Right. So, um, actually probably that week I, um, I messaged um, a friend. I said, "Hey, I want to look for an office." And the, and we it went really fast. Um, I was going to build a practice. I had an attorney. I had everything, and it was basically going to happen. Um, then what ended up happening is my contractor called me. Like literally within that week, he said, "Hey, Tracy, this this guy is leaving to you know Iraq. He's in the reserves. This dentist, and he has this new office. It's only eleven hundred square feet, and they need to sell." And it was so crazy to me. This all happens within yeah. this two weeks of my father passing away. And I felt like, you know, it's timing. It was my time. Um, and so I said, I'm buying it, you know? And so I told them um, October, 2014, I said, I'm leaving you. My last day, um, I, I, I'm going to start January 15th. I want to ask you a question because this yeah. is such a common, common issue is that uh, dentists who are insurance-based practices. So in 2002, 2004, you're in this heavily insurance-based practice. So, and, and I, so I, I've been out in practice for so many years now and the times are different. So when you were in that two-year period, did you recognize that there were fee-for-service practices, that there was other opportunities other than being insurance-dependent practices? Did you know that was out there? Yes, I did. And, and that was because the prosthodontist was fee-for-service. Okay. So you could so, see the difference between the dentistry. She was, I, I think it was a she, right? Yes, yes. That she was able to provide versus what you were able to provide in a in a structured um, insurance-based environment. Yes, yes, 100%. And like a lot of the procedures, even if I could do them, I wasn't allowed to do them right. you know, sure. because of the fee structure. Exactly. Um, and so, yes, I saw that real quickly. I was like, okay. So you start your new practice. And I think this is so important. When I graduated school back in 88, and then I finally started my practice in 1991, we, we did not accept insurances. And it was a different time back then. It wasn't, it wasn't nearly, they weren't nearly as as focused and prevalent as they are today, but they were certainly were back then as well. But something about me, I just, I felt like if I'm going to work, however, how much ever time, however hard I wanted to get my fee, you know, no different than someone who's working on my car or someone who's doing plumbing in my house or whoever it is. I felt like if I'm going to work, I wanted to have that full fee. So when you start your practice, what was it like? Because I'm assuming you started out as a fee-for-service practice when you opened up your practice. So what was that like? How scary was that for you? What What did you not know then that you sort of learned along the way? Talk, go back to those those days. So the office that I worked for basically took everything under the sun. It was an HMO-based practice. Mm-hmm. Um, the office that I bought actually took Delta and MetLife. They only took two. And so I kind of just went with that just because I didn't want to lose the patients. Yep. Um, and so interesting that the, the money started coming in. I was like, wow, that's a big difference, you know, with all the other insurance, because I only take two now. Right. Um, so that was 2005. And, and, and then pretty much what ended up happening is in 2000, um, in 2010, five years later, I said, okay, we're going to drop because we only have two, we're dropping MetLife. So we dropped MetLife in 2010. And in 2010, dropping insurance was not a big deal because the coverage, the compensation was, wasn't that big of a difference from a patient standpoint. So we didn't lose any patients. Mm-hmm. 
Now, you know, fast forward to 2015, where the insurance game is a lot different. Yep. I got accredited by the AACD in 2015. I was like, what ended up happening was I treatment planned a really large case. Um, it was like a full mouth rehab case. And I wanted to use a particular lab and, you know, the lab is ridiculously expensive for these big cases. Is, you need a lot of sure. detail. Well, this patient had Delta. And so Delta was only going to pay about $700 a unit. Well, that's your lab fee. Yes. <laughs> and I said, I'm not doing that. You know, and it was a really hard pill to swallow. Cause that was when I was like, I'm not going to do it because I want to use a particular type of lab. And Delta was like, well, you have to do it. I said, no, I don't have to do anything, you know? So, and I told the patient, I'm not doing this for this price because I, there's a certain level of quality I want to do. And I'm not going to give you the option to use a cheaper lab because it still has my name on it. For sure. And so at that point, I actually, and this is, I lost this patient for it because I said no to that case. And she knew why I said no. She knew the reason why I said no is because I wasn't going to accept $700 for 22 crowns per crown. Right. And I wrote a letter. And I remember I wrote a letter to the insurance company. It says, effective in three months, I'm dropping you. So, and this is, this is, brings me on my airway journey in 2015, when I did that, and my practice has been growing, has always been growing up. In 2015, when I got accredited, um, I was kind of like, you know what, this is who we're going to be. We're going to drop. We're going to now we're, uh, the last insurance we have is Delta. Well, the game was so different in 2015 versus 2005. Like the insurance now, when Delta, the patient, you know, it's different from if they, the patient's paying $300 versus $400. But now the way Delta has it situated is like, if you are out of network, the patient has to pay close to $900 versus their $150. Right. And I can get that because then they're paying an additional eight dollars $900. So 2015, I had my first drop in collections. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge eye opener to me. I was like, hey guys, we we might've mishandled this. I've never had a negative, like uh, a decline in collections. Um, and in 2015 is when I had to come in in Jesus with my office. I was like, we're, we're, we're going to reinvent ourselves. You know, like this is who we are. You guys already know who we are, but we need to be reminded who we are. We need to be reminded of why I made the decision I made. And now we have to pick it back up and we need to remind patients why I made that tough call. Can um, I ask you a question? So yeah. we just sort of glossed over the AACD stuff, but I want to get back because I, we're going to start talking about your airway journey. But I yeah. want to talk about before that, when you're, when, how did you get introduced to the AACD? And tell me about that experience when you were first starting in with the cosmetic yeah, association. So, you know, I bought my own in 2005. And as I started doing these cases, as I started doing bondings, um, I realized, you know, I'm, I'm really not that good. <laughs> sure. you know, you're, you're, how much, you're, how much experience do you get in dental school to do bonding? You get very, very little experience, even no, in today's I, you know, world in dental school. So, so little, I, I did not understand the layering technique. You know, you For always sure. put like one color and then they still looked gray. I didn't realize what was going on. And I was like, crap, this is not, you know, I'm just going to stick to porcelain, you know? Right. And I think like, as I have to say now as an AACD dentist, because we, we talk about bondings a lot, porcelain is good, but 
I choose porcelain because I choose porcelain, not because I'm not good at bondings. You know, well, there's a big difference. And, Some and people I, choose porcelain because they're not good at bondings. For sure. And I, and I tell, I, I, this is a common, common refrain that I have. By being good at bonding, it just offers you more opportunities for your patients. So, yes. so you and your patient can choose what's right for them. Because in many cases, bonding is a, a more conservative option. It can be less costly. It's immediate. I mean, I had a patient just recently, we were talking about veneering, and I went through what porcelain veneering time-wise would take. And yeah. then I talked about composite veneers, and he said, you can get this done in one day. I said, yeah, we do it in one day. He goes, done. Let's do it. Because the idea of having to take off work multiple days for yeah. preparation right? If we have to do a try-in final delivery, you know, he's like, I just want to get this done. And so one day and that's he's scheduled. And so just having the ability to give your patients options, I think opens up the world for you as a dentist, instead of saying, I got a hammer and we're going to fix it this way. So, so when I had that, um, <laughs> realization that I wasn't that good. <laughs> I started Googling like, okay, where can I learn to get better? And that's when I saw the AACD and I was like, okay, I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to a conference. And my first conference was in Boston. Ah, uh, yeah. And I was like, wow, you know, like the ceremonies and like the accreditation. And this is funny. I'll tell, I'll tell every um, AACD member. I was like to get into that exclusive party. I was like, what? I can't go to it. And, you know, like I'm this competitive person is like, nobody can't tell me I can't go to a party, you know? And so I was like, okay, this is interesting. Um, then I kept on taking courses. And then when I decided I want to get accredited, um, was probably around 2014, 2015. I was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try to get accredited. Got a couple of mentors and we started putting a case together from there. I really feel like that's when my growth started. You know, like I was really this quiet girl that just goes to the classrooms and just kind of minds her own business, you know? Um, and it was very, some of these big meetings are so intimidating to meet people. For sure. Um, so like, I didn't really have a voice where I was confident enough to come up to people to even ask them questions um, until I started taking more courses. And then once I got accredited, so many doors opened up for me. I want, to, I want to talk about accreditation just for a minute. Yeah. So for our listeners who aren't familiar with the AACD, the accreditation, so the AACD is an open meeting. So anyone is welcome to come to the meeting. What I love about the AACD meeting is that there's great presenters, great lectures, but there's also tremendous workshops. So if you want to learn how to do layering and composite, you can take a course from Cosmodent. You can take it from any number of the composite manufacturers, and you can learn from experts and masters how to layer composites so you get familiar with the materials. For the accreditation process, the first step is to take a written examination, which is challenging. I mean, it is, it is no, it's, it, it's no layup. It's uh, great questions, very fair, but really challenging, I think. Following the written examination, then there's five clinical cases that you need to pass. Uh, the first one is six, six or more indirect restorations, so veneers or crowns, on the upper arch, including the front six teeth. Um, you have to do the same thing in composite, actually composite veneering six teeth yeah. or more, which is always the most challenging. That's the type five course or class. Um, a single tooth replacement, either with a bridge or an implant, central incisor, lateral incisor, some, somewhere in the anterior aesthetic zone, upper teeth. Um, single tooth or two teeth, uh, indirect restoration, veneer or crown. And then finally, either a class four fracture or diastema closure with direct composite. 
So really testing your skills from doing single tooth dentistry, say a class four composite, to doing full smile design, making sure the gingival is, is, the gingival is healthy, tissue heights are appropriate, looking at buccal corridors, going through all that. And so you, for these case types, you have to submit a before and after photograph, 12 different images. They're very specific. And then you um, have a write-up of the procedure that you did. And those are then sent to the AECD and it's an anonymous examination. And as an accreditor, it's such a cool process because you sit in the basement of the AACD headquarters in Madison, Wisconsin. You have no idea who the person is that's uh, providing these cases. And there's five judges that are looking on very specific criteria. And based on those criteria, we're looking to see, is this something that's acceptable for accreditation with the understanding that we want the accredited, the examiners want people to pass. So I always thought it was the opposite from the outside in, but being on the inside, everyone is rooting for the cases to pass. So anyhow, you have to pass all five of these cases. Once you pass those five cases, then you have to do an oral examination that supports the cases that, you that you've provided to make sure that they are authentic, that you actually did the work, and that you understood why you did what you did. Based on all that, then you become an accredited member like Tracy did in 2015. Is that right? Yeah. 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 So that's the process. And as so many people I've spoken to have gone through the process, it's not about getting accredited. It's about what you learn. Yeah. through the journey of accreditation. Would you would you agree with that? 100%. I mean, you you just have a totally different eye. You know, like um, things that you point on, things that you never looked at. And it's, I was just like, okay, good. Um, and I think that, I mean, just getting better at the bond, you just have a better eye and understanding of aesthetics and the smile design. Um, I definitely feel like that is kind of where I started to really grow. Um, interesting that in the oral exam, so, um, I will, I had, uh, Betsy Bakeman as one of my, um, oral exam, um, examiners. And this is the first time I met Be Betsy. The reason why I went to ACD, cause I realized I was not good at composites. Right. Um, and then once I got good at composites and like really good at these veneers and bondings, I felt like I was, I thought I was pretty good. Um, but what in the exam, what was really interesting, cause Betsy, I mean, she questioned me really, she brought it back to like diagnosis of why did you even do this? Oh, and interesting. Was, yeah. And so it's funny because I was like, why are we talking about diagnosis? Can we talk about the final product? <laughs> and then, and then it, it made me realize, I was like, crap, you know, like, I think I've just been very lucky at like these, some of these cases not breaking these, I'm not in the, I'm not, I have not been practicing long enough to see my true failures yet, you know? And that was really um, a light bulb to me. And then actually, that's why I started my journey at, at Kois. Cause I was like, you know what? I am not, I didn't, I'm not a comprehensive dentist. And I think that every, like, it's this um, self-realization of yourself. You know, you have to realize what you're good at, what you're not good at. And when you realize what you're not good at, you have to ask yourself, are you going to get better at it? That's the truth. You know? And so when I realized that, you know, I don't really, I can't really answer the questions that she's asking me. I hope they still pass me, but it made me realize like, okay, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good with my hands, but now I got to get back to like, in what cases will this work for? And what cases won't they work for, which is more exactly. important. Exactly. 
because because you can get lucky and not recognize the the land the you know the the pitfalls or the pot you know potholes that are in front of you. Yes, you can get lucky, but when you aren't, you have to understand why what went wrong so that you don't repeat the mistake and you can correct what you've done wrong. Yeah. And so fast forward to today, my case type five composite case that I thought was a very straightforward, uh, you know, incisal edge, open vertical, like with composites is actually an airway case because that patient has apnea. Right. (laughs) So it's so funny how things you kind of go back and you, you know, again, it's about self-awareness and looking at your work and critiquing your own work and asking yourself, can you do better? You know, and you can, you know, what I love about John, it's um, at John Coy's at the Coy Center. What I loved about there is he brought it down to like understanding risk assessment. Sure does. And so, you know, I stopped beating myself up when I didn't, when things didn't go well, I started to realize that I just didn't recognize the patient's risk factors. They had high risk and you didn't recognize it. So you couldn't caution the patient that here's the problem with doing this treatment as as we've discussed. Exactly. So it's kind of like I did the best that I felt I could do given with the information that I knew, you know, and I think that's really important for, you know, new dentists today. Like when we look at our failures, it's like you, you probably did the best that you felt that you can do, but you don't know enough. Right. Like. And that's the key with continuing education is being honest with yourself. It goes, what don't I know? You know, one of the challenges, Tracy, I think is that for the young dentist or dentist who's just starting to get into continuing ed and starting to see more advanced dentistry, there's so much to learn and there's such limited time that you can learn it, right? I mean, you can only, you can only learn so much at a time, right? Yeah. So looking back and you started your path with the AECD, but you also were doing the Academy of General Dentistry stuff right? Yeah. You're doing that at the same time. Yeah. How, did, how did you balance your time so that you could manage the amount of information that you wanted to learn? And how did you sort of segment that so that you could make sure that you were able to um, retain the information and actually then apply the information without getting too much and not being able to use any of it, you know, getting paralysis? So, you know, the AGD for me, it was very, I don't want to say simple, but it's the path is, is, is not as tough and there's an easy buy-in, you know, cause like with the AGD, you, to be a fellow, you have to have like 500 CEs and, you know, the oral exam and you could take those 500 CEs, however you want to take it. You could take a bunch of weekend courses, you know, and then you, and what have you, I think if I could go back and look at how much I spent on CE per year, I would have done it all once for a really good comprehensive course. Cause I look and like, I did all these mini weekend courses. And then I looked at what I was lacking in cosmetics. And I went into the AACD. Then I started taking like more comprehensive courses. I started taking like longer courses that was more targeted toward a specific skill. Yep. That's kind of where it is. Don't, I think how I started, I just took what I could afford. For sure. And, it's, and when you're taking a little bit here and there, it, it really doesn't, you're really not gaining a good skill. And when I took John's, when I took um, a course at the Koi Center, I was like, and it's, you know, obviously the Koi Center is expensive. I mean, it's 10,000 for a week, about five to 6,000 for like a weekend, same thing with Spear. But 
knowing what I know now and looking at how long it took me to get where I am today, if you can make it work, I would definitely just go to one, like take a, I mean, obviously I'm very biased on, you know, scientific virus at the Coy Center and I love John and I love, I mean, and he loves dentists, you know, and he really does um, look out for us. Um, I, I think his curriculum is so comprehensive. Um, it's, you know, it's so much better to take courses that are more comprehensive that works on you as a dentist and you and your skill versus taking like little mini courses here and there, you know, and in these courses, when you, what I think, what I appreciate now that I did not have early on in my journey is finding mentors, finding other people that like care about you and that want you to succeed and that you can bounce ideas off because I think many dentists coming right off, like I was a lonely dentist by myself, you know, for a good five, six years before I started bringing an associate. And like, I would have loved to have somebody, some kind of mentor that was, I can pick up the phone and, you know, that was, that cared about me. And I didn't have that. So I think for like new grads, if when you're looking for an office or if you're going to DSR or wherever, I tell new grads, it's like, find your boss, your dentist, find someone that you respect, find someone that you would want to do your own mouth, find someone that would actually mentor you. Um, Because I didn't have that. And once I realized how beautiful that was, I was like, God, I wish I wish I had gone to Kois or Spear or any of these courses, like my first two years, because the, the people at these courses are so helpful. Yep. You know, especially yep. if you're introverted, you know, like they actually like, which I was kind of that person, you know, I didn't really want to come up to them, like, but these courses, they're so family oriented, they'll, they'll come up to you. And, and I feel like you need that because dentistry can be so hard on you, you know, it is. Like, you know, safe environments are so important and mentorship yeah. is, is so key. One one of the challenges I think is for the young learner, the new learner is trying to figure out what they want to learn, right? Yep. So I think all of us sort of go through the same thing. We'll go to our local meetings, whether it be here, the Chicago Midwinter or the greater New York or wherever meeting you have. And, and you get this potpourri of material education, right? Yeah. And I think it's from there, then you start figuring out what you like, right? And you start to distill and who, and who do you, who resonates when they speak, what, what voice resonates with you, right? So for me, it was Frank Spear back in uh, 1993, when Frank was at the midwinter meeting, his voice resonated with me It made sense the way he taught, boom, I was in, right? And I think sometimes it's about going, trying different things and figuring out what makes sense, what, you know, when you hear it, because you can hear the same thing from several people, mm-hmm. but there's someone who's, who speaks the language that you speak and you hear it in a different way. And so I think that's what's great about dentistry now is we have so many different opportunities to learn from different people, right? Yeah. When I came out in school, you had the Pinky Institute, which is great, but really that was on, the only postgraduate program if you wanted to get better skills as a general dentist, better restorative skills. But now there's so many opportunities. You just got to find the right voice that feels right to you, right? And John Coy yeah. is obviously one of the best teachers in the world and continues to teach dentists, you know, incredible results. Uh, he's he's obviously one of the best that you can go to. And there's we've had so many people on this podcast that have been associated with John. So you, 
you are mimicking a lot of the same comments others have said about John and their journey. Now, but you are also doing some stuff with Spear now as well, correct? Yes. So um, interesting, like um, I met Jeff Rouse probably, oh my gosh, I want to say 2016 at um, a Koi Study Club in Detroit. And And I think that might have been the first time you and I met. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, you know, it's funny because like what resonated with me was because like I kind of dabbled a little bit into sleep apnea and that's kind of like all I knew. It was kind of like, okay, dentists can make oral appliances. So like, okay, they are making oral appliances. That's easy. I take an impression to the pipe, blah, blah. But I really didn't like it. I really didn't like, but again, you know, I probably didn't do a lot. I just didn't just teeth changes and I just didn't like it. Um, but when I met Jeff, his message about dentistry and the impact of dentistry to the airway and how, how we breathe affects how we function. Another light bulb came in my head. It was kind of like, oh, wow, we are actually, we can do something that affects something beyond the mouth. You know, I didn't really think that our, I mean, granted, I, what I, what I loved about um, dentistry was just creating beautiful smiles. And it was funny because people go out and ask me what I do. I said, I promote self-esteem, you know, I make people feel better about their smile. But after I heard him, I was like, wow, I can actually make them feel better in general, you know, like be healthier and be healthier and have healthier lives. Okay. And then his impact on children was something like mind blowing to me. I loved about his speaking styles. His speaking styles are very much similar to John, which is very research based, and he's just like hammering it down. And I was like, okay, I get it. Um, then, then Jeff and I became really good friends, um, you know, because because I I started posting all these things on social media, and I would tag Jeff. And I mean, granted, I just met Jeff, and so he was like wow, you got a lot of followers. People are actually listening to what you have to say. He's like, I've been talking about this for 10 years and I've got all these arrows on my back, but you're doing it and all these people are liking you. And it's so funny. I have this joke with him and I said, I just made airway sexy. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, um, if you if you don't know Jeff Rouse, Jeff is a prosthodontist down from San Antonio. Jeff wrote a seminal article in Inside Dentistry back in, I think it was October, 2010 when he talked about the uh, bruxism triad and it was though there was some literature that talked about the relationship between bruxism and airway disturbance issues, sleep apnea, Jeff was the first one who made it into sort of commonplace literature, dental literature. And it was that article that lit the fire for a lot of us dentists who were struggling with failures in our practices with dentistry on patients that had airway issues are bruxers, people with significant erosion, trying to understand why their teeth were being destroyed. So Jeff is the pioneer, if you will, in sort of the dental field. There are others, but Jeff may have been some one of the more vocal, and he certainly has a great understanding of the information and the research behind it. And he's been a real leader in this cause, and he's certainly influenced me my study club and a bunch of um, people that I've been around. So you can also hear him on one of our uh, previous year casts. So anyone want to listen to Jeff talk, he's super interesting and great guy and super fun. And just, uh, he's uh, it's a, it's a great interview. We had a lot of fun in the, in our conversation. So (laughs) that's Jeff Rouse in a nutshell. And he's influenced a ton of dentists out there. 
and he is at Spear Education, and Jeff is very involved with the airway focus as a prosthodontist, understanding the effects of what's going on in the patient's airway and how it's affecting our, our teeth and our dentistry. So that little fire under you also, I understand then. So, cause that was the same thing that happened to me and that, that, that started on my airway journey. Yeah. So, so we were, um, so he was going to have his first um, airway pros workshop. And it was funny because his first airway pros workshop, he asked me, um, Ed Borio, which is a COIS um, clinical instructor. And Ed's and out of Detroit and he's another Restorative Academy member, really yeah. great guy. Just refer to patient to Ed. Hey, Ed. And Jill Ginsner as his first mentors. And it was funny because I'm like, obviously, like I've never been to Spear, you know, and um, but I, I'll do whatever to support Jeff. And that was his first uh, workshop. And so I try to go to Spear at least once a year to hear him um, because, I mean, one, he's he's an amazing lecturer. And two, he's always updating his research. He is. You know, um, so that's kind of where. I developed my speaking skill, you know, so usually when you hear me speak, I'll, I'll, I'll do the same kind of concept, um, introduce the literature. Um, interesting that this year was, it, I think it was last year, Jeff came, was in um, Virginia and he heard me speak and I was like, so nervous. I was like, right. I was like no, you can't hear me speak. Can you go to lunch or something? Um, and you know, it was a really proud moment because he said, you know, Tracy, I actually, I could hear myself and you, but you just made it sound a little bit differently. And he was like, yeah. he, and so he's like, you made me really proud. And I was like, Oh, thank you. What was it about airway that got your attention? You know, it's really, it was more about, um, understanding the impact of my dentistry. Um, and the, the biggest impact is children. And so when I came back after Jeff's lecture, um, I went to, and it's so funny. It's like, I think like once you see it, you realize all the cases that you miss for sure, you know? And so as more cases, as more patients started coming in with these issues, I'm like, how did I miss that? Well, I wasn't really looking. So I actually started referring a bunch of kids to this, uh, this sleep center. So we are, um, in my area, we have a sleep center that's dedicated exclusively to kids. Um, and so I met the uh, sleep um, pediatric sleep physician at the time, and she was on her way to retirement, but she was the, the president of the Virginia Board of um, um, Sleep Medicine. And we had lunch and we were talking about, you know, dental intervention for kids with airway issues, kids that had no resolutions after tonsils and adenoids. And what she was like, well, you know, I don't really know any people that work on kids under the age of four. Are you like like a healthy start or something. And like, it was interesting. And healthy start is, is an appliance for kids. Interesting. Cause that was all she knew. Right. She, that's all she knew that dentists could do. Which is astounding so, that air, that our sleep physicians have very little understanding of, of what yes, dentists can do. You know? And so I, I showed her, I still remember it because I had an appliance made for a four-year-old and I was like, I can do this on a four-year-old. And she was like, wow, you can do that? I said, yeah. And so the light bulb came. And so because she was retiring, she had a mission to, to educate. And she wanted to, she wanted to um, get an interdisciplinary team together. So she wanted to work with dentists. So she made it her mission before she retired to start that. 
So her and I was like, well, let's do it. And so we developed um, the airway and sleep group. And basically what I did was I came back to my local team and this is my, my, cause inter- dental interdisciplinary team, cause dentists, we, we know how to do interdisciplinary, you know, like that's right. all we do for that's what we have. Hopefully. Right. Yeah. So I sent a mass email out to my referring docs and basically uh, my, my two main referring docs of each specialty. And I said, you know, I, and I sent a letter and I said, you guys, you guys, you know, I, I trust you and you trust me. That's why, you know, I, I only send you guys. Um, I, this is where my journey is. I want to really focus on the impact of our dentistry on airway and children and adults. And I'd like to invite you to dinner. So I had this big dinner of all of my specialists and my sleep doctors and, um, and my ENTs. And we just sat at this round table and we just basically talked about, you know, why is everyone here? Obviously everyone's here because Tracy dragged me here, you know, and then like, uh, but it was really amazing because then at that moment, everyone's like, okay, you know, if you believe in this so much, we're on board with you. And so then it became my mission to continually um, educate, like, hey, this came out, this came out. And then I started reading, you know, so I was constantly just funneling information, the, the importance of dentistry. Fast forward, then, <laughs> then we started ASAP, which is the online education pediatric program. Uh, But yeah, you know, I think that what I'm seeing now and what I hope to see in the future is that dentists really recognize um, the impact of what we do. The impact of restorative goes beyond the mouth, you know, and, and what Jeff will say is it can either impact the airway in a positive way, a negative way, or a neutral way. But you have to understand the three differences, you know, and then you can make that decision on what you want to do. If you don't understand the three differences and something comes back, then you should evaluate even further. Was it really your dentistry that failed or did you just not um, diagnose a risk? And so that's where I have, you know, John on one ear, Jeff and another, like Jeff is always it's airway, you know, like I have him in my ear, it's an airway issue. And John is on my other ear saying, did you diagnose your risk? You know, and I think that's where um, airway dentistry is about. I don't do anything different than what I do from a restorative standpoint. I just look at it differently. Like, am I constricting the envelope? Is this constricted envelope? Why is there a constricted envelope? You know, why is the patient breaking their teeth? So the whole question of the why is really important. I focus a lot on that medical history, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, the apnea, the heart issues. Now for women, the depression, anxiety, you know, snoring, right. like there's so many medical conditions that have some um, correlation to airway. Now I'm not saying dentistry is going to fix everything, but I sure want to understand it enough that I don't make it worse. Correct. And give patients the opportunity to make changes that have yes. the opportunity for to improve their health. Yeah. So, Tracy, one of the challenges that I have in practice, and you know, all my colleagues, we we talk about this, is that we, in having these conversations with patients, it can be a real challenge when patients are coming in, especially new patients who don't know you. They're coming in and they just coming in for dental examination, or they want their teeth, you know, they want their teeth fixed, they want veneers or whatever. And all of a sudden you start talking about airway conversations. 
right? So I'm seeing wear on the teeth. I'm seeing some erosion. And all of a sudden, we're, we start talking about, you know, we in dentistry, we're starting to understand that there may be an association between what we're seeing on your teeth and how you breathe, particularly when you sleep and when you're sleeping at night. What challenges have you had with that? What, how, what have you learned about how to have these conversations with patients? Because I think many of us start out very overzealous when we yes. initially start to meet with these people <laughs> and we have to start to realign our thinking that we're actually talking to human beings and be better at communicating. So what have you learned and how do you communicate with patients today when you suspect that there's an airway issue related or not related to their teeth, but you suspect an airway issue when they come in? So it's interesting because like we have a lot. So first of all, like when you come to the office, you're filling out certain forms. So right off the bat, you know what kind of practice you're going into. You're filling out, you know, all the COIST um, document forms. You're filling out an airway form. Like right off the bat, you know the kind of office you're going into. Um, Depending on how they fill out the forms on the airway questionnaire, um, I really don't talk about it, you know, depending on how they fill it out. Um, as I go through their medical history, I just recognize what's going on. Um, as I do my treatment diagnosis, I just I just treatment plan based on my um, what I feel is going on with their health, how to make it better. Um, and so I don't say like if I look at so for example, I had a patient that um, had a constricted envelope. You know, and so when I address it and I'm opening up their bite and I open up the veneers and I look, I look at, I don't really talk about airway for them, but my treatment is airway based in the sense that I'm expanding the arches, keeping more room for the tongue. Now, when I'm giving treatment options and I'll say like, okay, we, your upper arch is smaller than your lower arch. So we need to, when we unravel the lower arch, we have to make the upper teeth has to have more spacing. So hence we talk about veneers or your option is to do a bunch of IPRs and reduction on the lower teeth and crowd everything and retract it. Now, if I do that, my only concern is that I'm going to be taking away some of your tongue space. If I take away some of your tongue space, your tongue space will have nowhere to go except the back of your throat. And my concern is in the effort to breathe and survive, you're going to bring your lower jaw and break what I just did. So I kind of talk about it like that. So I don't really, um, so those patients that don't come in asking for airway, like I don't talk about you have an airway issue. I just talk about how their dentistry can affect their airway. Now with kids, we have a pediatric questionnaire that goes with the medical history every year that they fill out. And with that, now that's a different story. So that I do talk about like, well, if your child has ADHD, bedwetting, things like that, sleep, I definitely, we talk about um, sleep disturbance issues. The thing is with uh, kids is you don't have to have obstructive sleep apnea to have all these crazy symptoms. Correct. You know, and so that's where we start talking about the development of the arches. So kids are slightly different than adults. Now, I do have adults that find me specifically for airway issues online. You know, so that's a different conversation. Sure. Um, things that I did that I do not recommend anyone to do. And I don't do anymore. You come from a class, you get so excited. They tell you all these amazing books to read. You buy all these books, you put it in your waiting area and you tell your patients, take this book home and read it. 
what I realized what that did was that made you less of an expert in the topic. Mm. And when you think about what we do in dentistry, we don't, when we choose our materials, we don't say, here's, here's an article on what the strength of Emacs and the article on the strength of Zirconia. Can you read both of these articles and tell me which material I should use? Yeah, but we do have those patients that do that voluntarily, right? They, they, they've Googled. They know that what they want. Yes, yes, yes. But, but for yeah. the most part, no. Right. You know, and but like the, re- the thing is, when, when patients come to you, they come to you expecting that you should already know the answers. You should already be telling them you be the what expert. you think they should do. But when you, when you just give them things to read, yep. like if they're not buying, if they're not buying what you're talking about, you just stop. Right. And because right. you don't want to be known for like, is this a fad? Did she just come from this course and she's trying to like upsell me on things? It's like the patient has to want it. So I have to say like, um, and, and, and it's the same thing with your team. Cause I will say like my, it took a while for my team to embrace what I was doing. They're like, no why is she it. always talking about airway? You know, like and, we're not you making your any team. money off of airway. <laughs> if your team's not on it, then you can't do it. No, you, you cannot no. do airway if you don't have a team committed to it because it takes so much effort from the team it to does. be able to manage your airway patients. Right. I mean, at least yeah. it does in our practice. I mean, I depend heavily on my, my team to help with, just a screening, um, just getting the forms all completed and then yeah. with the appliance. I mean, just everything. It just takes so much commitment from the team to be able to get that to be done successfully. Yeah. You know, so like right now, it's funny because like we, if, if you, if you come to, if you, if you come to my office, it's like, we just have an airway hat. We don't, we don't like overdo the airway conversation. It's just like my treatment philosophy is my goal is to not make the airway worse. And this is my treatment period, you know? And like, this is how I see it. I don't go through like, Oh, I could do this. I could do this. And you might have this and I'm, you may feel better. No, I just say, this is how it is. And I think that's the key with, um, patients on, if you have any doubt on what the patient should do, they're not going to do it. Right. You know, that, that confidence level of like, this is how you have to really believe in what you're doing and just say, this is how we're going to do the dentistry. Um, and I stopped trying to convince people, you know, it's basically now patients are coming to me asking for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't talk about it in the um, recare. It's just in my treatment philosophy when I'm organizing some of these cases. So um, my, all my social media accounts are public. So people know what I do. So there's, there's no question. Like when a, someone comes into my office, like, you know, what you signed up for when you come to my office. And I think that's the key. Like, um, if you're going to adopt anything, whether you're going to adopt, adopt cosmetic dentistry or airway management, or, or you're going to do a bunch of implants, like, your, your patients need to know when they come into the office, what kind of office, what kind of service you provide. No you doubt. Know, you shouldn't have to tell them what service. They should already know that walking in the door. This is the kind of office I'm walking into. You know, I think though, Tracy, I think one of the things that's different about airway than it is about restorative cosmetic implant is that these are conversations that most patients are not used to hearing from their dentist, yeah. right? I mean, how many times... I mean, I can just tell you with my patients, when we start talking about airway, they're like, I've, they're, they're blown away. Number one, that they're hearing it, but number two, that they're hearing it from a dentist. Right. Yeah. So 
I think there's a unique challenge in dentistry and having these conversations. I mean, it's easier to have conversations about TMJ stuff with patients for me than airway because they would expect a dentist to talk about joint issues, not so much about airway issues. So that I think still makes it a little bit different when we're walking down that path that we help patients understand what, like you said, we don't want to make things worse. What can we do, what can we do to minimize the risk, right? And potentially make things better. And I think that's a conversation you need to have. And I, but I do think that's, that's where it's a little bit different with airway than it is anything else that I've done in dentistry over the decades is helping patients understand that, yes, this is different information, but this is how dentistry can or make it better or can make it worse and what we need to be thinking about as we're looking at their treatment plan and stuff. Yeah. You know, it's funny with TMD patients, I feel like my TMD patients are most understanding about airway issues. Cause I'll, I, with my TMD patients, I'll say, um, so a lot of the studies show that poor sleep can lead to an increased perception of pain, you know, and joint issues. Um, and with my women patients, I'll say that, well, you know, with that being said, women, as you go into menopause, premenopause of plus 40, you start to lose all the protective hormones that we had before. Once you lose all those protective hormones, you start to get poor sleep. And then also, um, as you get poor sleep, then you have the increased perception of pain and bone density changes. The highest prevalence of patients with TMD issues are pretty much from 40 to 60. Well, that's right around women's menopause. For sure. So women get that. I have to say like the conversation with TMD and women and sleep, women get it. And so like um, almost all of my TMD patients, I have the conversation of sleep and they're like, Okay. And the one thing with women I'll say is like, um, we have different symptoms than men. For sure. You know, Typically. So, mm -hmm. you know and, and I'll say that, and I'll say like, you know, the, the thing is with women is we can have mild sleep fragmentation and our symptoms with mild apnea will be equivalent to a 300 pound man with with apnea with, with 30 plus. So it's very different. So we are, women are more hypersensitive to pain. And we also have issues with sleep is more of like the depression, anxiety, frustration. So it's a different response for men. Women don't, women don't complain of fatigue right. um, because women are go, 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 you know, like, but they're, so but they're, they're self-medicating caffeine, yes. sugar, whatever it is to keep them going, not really understanding. I mean, if you talk to them and they'll say, yes, I am tired, but they don't complain about it. They just yeah. self-medicate through whatever, you know, some sort of dietary typically to keep their engine running Yeah, where, where men will just give up and take a nap. Women right. won't do that. Women are like, I know I'm, I'm a woman. I don't take naps, but you know, let, let me get something in me to keep my, keep my energy going. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is like women, when I have the airway conversation with women, women get it because when I talk to women, it's more about, you know, their hormone levels, how they feel their, their body. And, you know, like all women, when they get to like that 40 to 60, they, they feel a change in their body. Right. Men, the interesting with men is men don't, they'll, when they come for treatment, it's because their wife says they snore. 
<laughs> you know, like yeah. they don't have any other symptoms. They don't complain about being tired. They don't complain about this. Like, I'm only here because my wife says I need to come here. Right. Like, it's 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 a very different dynamic. So then it's like, okay, so your wife, so apparently you're not in the bed anymore. You have your another room. Let's talk about this. Right. And it's very it's a very different dynamic. So women go for themselves. Men go because they're forced to go. <laughs> Yeah, and be, I, I think maybe women are just more attuned to wellness. I mean, there can be men who are healthy and stuff, but women are more yeah. attuned to wellness. And so they can feel, you know, they can appreciate the changes that are occurring. Men, I, what I find is, is that they're, and I'll speak for myself because I have sleep apnea. When I started wearing a dental appliance, I didn't know how tired I was. And so for, for men, I really see, by and large, they're like, wow, I didn't realize how exhausted I was. Women have a sense that they're tired. Men yeah. don't, don't men don't realize it until they get a good night's sleep. And then also I'm like, oh my God, I didn't realize how tired I was. Where women have a better, better pulse on it, I think, than what my male patients do, generally, generally speaking. Yeah. <laughs> Tracy, I think that's fascinating. It, it's interesting because when I started talking about airway, I talked about it because I was looking at my cosmetic dentistry and my restorative dentistry and looking at the impact of erosion and wear bruxism and what was what was happening with my dentistry and that's yeah. why i got interested was like how can i better predict the dental outcome when i start doing treatment and i feel like you've sort of gone along the same similar pathway yeah when you're talking to dentists who haven't gotten into airway into sleep dentistry airway stuff how would you recommend they 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 start the process because that's always a challenge for people. I want to jump into the pool, but I don't know what pool to jump into. I don't know where to get started. What's your recommendation for that? Um, so I think first you have to understand what it is, you know, like what is airway dentistry? Right. Um, I really do love how um, Jeff uh, makes it relevant to dentistry. I agree. Um, so like, I think hands down, he is, if there's one person you have to hear, it would be him, you know, when I it agree. comes to airway dentistry, um, because he doesn't overcomplicate it. He makes it very simple for the dentist, like any, any, he brings it, hones it into dentistry. Um, now from there, depending on what you want to do, how involved you want to be in the process, there are so many courses out there. You know, um, obviously Rebecca Baca has a lot of hands-on courses on orthopedic, um, orthodontic intervention with Mike Gunson at Spear. Um, I have um, ASAP Pathways, which is a pediatric online program, but we also do adults now. We have all these courses that where you can do hands-on and how to actually correct the, these airways. Um, I think right now, I want to say Jeff is starting changing around the curriculum a little bit at Spear to um, in their um, FTGP um, uh, officially generated treatment planning. Yeah. And their courses that they're actually implementing um, how the dentistry is going to impact um, the airway. So I think I want to say he's the only one that's really looking at um, the airway and what dentistry can do. Um, the, the Koi Center, we are, you know, obviously John is really big on the research. So I think for John, John, the center is more focused on comprehensive dentistry first, yep. understanding that, um, but he's definitely slowly introducing um, 
um, airway management in it. He knows it's an issue. Right. You know, um, so the awareness is definitely there. Yeah. So I think you can't go wrong with um, the Koi Center or um, Spear. Yeah. And I'll um, say uh, Jeff, Jeff Rouse. Yeah. Greg Kinzer just uh, presented to our study club and he did a beautiful job in just in general with his presentation, but also introducing the airway concepts and, yeah. and restorative success and failure based on some of the airway stuff that I think Jeff's brought into uh, their, the um, Spear Institute and the work that Jeff and Greg did together when Jeff was in uh, Greg's practice uh, when they were working together. So I think, I, I mean, for me, that's what I, that's where I direct people is to Spear and listen to Jeff. Yeah. Now, Jeff's not a big proponent of appliances. If you want to learn how to make appliances, this, is, this isn't the go-to place. They'll teach you that, but Jeff's going to teach you things so you don't have to make your patient appliances. What can yeah. you do to make them healthier every day instead of just when they're wearing their appliances? So just, just so you know, if you're going to be checking that out, if you want to learn how to make appliances, that's probably not the pathway. If you want to have a better, deeper understanding of airway issues, I think Spear's doing a really, really solid job right now with that stuff. Yeah, I, I would agree. Tracy, leave us with some final thoughts. If you're, if we're talking to dentists out there that a are young dentists, either they're in dental school or they're just getting out of dental school, what should they be thinking about as they're, as they're starting their, their new world in dentistry? And then secondly, for the seasoned professional who they've, they've heard about this airway stuff. And they, you know, they're just, you know, they're not convinced. So first, <laughs> right. So do that one first for the ones who like, uh, yeah, I hear it. But like I was at a meeting last night and there was some discussion that you can't bond zirconia and yeah. I, it, you know, and so it's still prevalent out there. And these, this is with people who I think should know better that you can, there's really good science behind it. You can bond zirconia. But there's people who think that airway, eh, it doesn't happen in my practice. I don't really need to talk about it. I don't need to know about it. How, how do we how do we push these people a little bit more forward? I decided that I, I'm not gonna. I think maybe early when I was talking about airway, I was very like shoving it down people's throat, you know, like with yeah. all and then with myself. And I would go on all these um, groups and I would talk about it. And then I just kind of realized um, people are going it's not going away. You know, like it's not a fat where it's going to get worse. We're aging and we're getting fatter. It's yeah. going to get worse. It's not, not, not that weight has anything to necessarily to do with it, but yes, it's not going away. And I think if you want to be progressive and growth and just grow air, air, you have to really understand the impact of your dentistry. Um, if you don't want to do airway dentistry, I think that's, I don't, really have a problem with it because when things go bad and they come on my door, then I'm just going to do it a little bit differently. I stopped trying to convince people to do it a certain way, but I think what ends up happening is when people start to realize as it's gets shoved down their throat with all these ads and they see people more and more people talking about it at some point, somebody's going to have their own light bulb. Yeah. You know, so I, for me, I'm just going to continue to do what I do, you know, just continue to speak on it, continue to post articles on it. And that's pretty much how I even got started. Like people like, it's crazy how social media today, how people feel so connected with you. And 
I probably, I don't know like 80% of like my friends on there, you know, but like they do message me and there's a connection. It's like, Hey, I, I saw this article that you posted, you know, like 10 months ago. Can you tell me a little bit about that? And I feel that dentists, just like our patients is they're going to come to you when they're ready, mm. you know? And I think that's um, the best thing. And when I look at myself and my growth, it's like, I took a different journey when I had self-realization that I didn't know something, yep. you know, or I questioned what I was doing. Um, and when you start questioning um, what you are doing, that's, that's a good thing. You know, like that's where, that's where the growth is. It is. Um, so whether they do it now or later, it's not going away. It's not a fad. If anything, um, what we're seeing now is more and more institutions are adopting it. You know, Dawson is, LVI is, Panky is. So right. it's going to, I bet in the next five years, it will be mainstream. You know, so um, you got to, whether you want to do something about it is a whole nother story, but I definitely think you should recognize the impact of your dentistry and what it does. Yeah. And, and certainly identify it. If you're seeing children, identify it while yes. they're young, because it makes such a difference if you can be interventive and at least get conversations with a pediatrician, pediatric dentist, orthodontist, pediatric ENT, recognizing the signs that this kid is not healthy and do and treat them as soon as possible will make tremendous differences in their lifetime. So the earlier, the better. Yeah. Talk about for our young dentists. What would you what, give, give them a little mentoring advice? Find a mentor. Yeah, like, I feel like it was for me, when I, when I look at my journey, how lonely it was, you know, yeah. and just how like slow my growth was. And it was kind of like just taking little courses here and there. Oh, that's a, that looks like a good course. I'll just take this course. But I never took a course that built on another course. Like it was just like, just fragments of information. You know, um, I do feel like these big groups like the AACD, Koi Spear, like while it's, it's, you know, some are more costly than others. What you really gain from that is the interaction with the people right? and um, finding people that care about you, that want to mentor you. Um, I feel like my growth didn't happen until after the AACD. Yeah. You know, and like, really, like, I, ha I have to say that. I mean, the only friends I had were the friends that were like my childhood friends or my friends that were in dental school, but I really didn't have like big mentors to look up to and that, like, to talk about my struggles, you know, to, oh, what are my struggles at opening a practice, you know, right. things like that. Right. In yeah. my career, I think study clubs and the one in particular that I've been a member of for almost 30 years have been the most influential thing for me as far as mentorship, being able to talk about problems, not only in dentistry, but in my practice, personal yeah. stuff. And so I, I, without question, mentorship in dentistry is so critical because it can be such a lonely, isolating experience and reach out, look out at your local study club, find someone who's doing dentistry that you really appreciate and admire and you and the type of person that you appreciate and admire and see if you can take them out for some coffee, see if you can take them out for some lunch and, yeah. and treat them. And because they're giving you their time. And so you should be paying them in some way to be able yeah. to share their experiences with you. So that'd be my advice for, for these younger dentists that are looking to, you know, and it's amazing. Like, it's amazing how helpful other dentists are. Yeah. Right. You know, they want to share. Like, 
I remember I, uh, when, when I decided I wanted to be accredited, uh, I wanted to go through accreditation journey. I, um, I called, um, um, Margarita, you know, Hamada Margarita. Yeah. I called him and I said, Hey, you know, like i saw you a couple of times, you know, <laughs> like right. I want to go through accreditation and, uh, you know, can you help me? And Oh my God, he was like, absolutely come in my office. I'm a teacher out of do photography. And I was like, really? He's like, come, when can you come in? And like, I was just like at amazed, like, cause I'm sitting here, like, you know, it's funny. Cause like be, I always feel like I'm like in a nuisance to somebody. Like I never want to ask because right, I'm like, sure. am I, you know, so it was, it was always, it's hard for me to ask for help, you know, cause it's, and when, when he was so open about it, I was like, Oh, he's so nice. And then when I got, when I started to meet more people and it's amazing that like, when you get to that, um, when you get to these groups and these people that you think are like untouchable and you talk to them, you're like, wow, they're really nice. You yeah. Know? Right. They're nice and fun. And they, they had mentorship also. Right. And yeah. so they appreciate it because they learn from somebody. No, no one was born with this knowledge and information. They, yeah. they, they, they were taught and they, they had people who they modeled and mentored them. And I think for by and large, people enjoy doing that. And that's why we call this the share cast, because that's what we're asking our, our friends and guests to do is just share their experiences and, and help others be able to have the great successes that, that they've been able to do in their practices and in their careers. So Tracy, you're awesome. I can't thank, thank you enough. You. This is, this has really been wonderful for our dental online trainers. Thank you for hanging in there with us today. This has been uh, just a wonderful opportunity to understand Tracy's growth through dentistry, her influences, and get into cosmetics and then into airway. So for our dental online trainers, thank you for joining us and yours for better dentistry. I'm Dr. Dennis Hartley. Well, thanks so much for listening or viewing our ShareCast today. If you enjoy this and you want to get more information from dental online training, then check us out at dothandson.com. That's one word, dothandson.com. Now, as a reminder, DOT has so many other great opportunities for your learning. We have our Wine and Unwind monthly webinars where we engage real time with our viewers as we bring in leaders throughout the dental industry to bring you up-to-date information and answer your questions. We have our monthly coffee and donut study club sessions where our participants bring in cases. And we treat and plan these cases together to help you bring great treatment to your patients. We have our live virtual workshops where our dental online trainers perform the same techniques from their kits as I'm doing from the comfort of their own home or office. We have our blogs and we have endless selection of our hands-on pre-recorded technique courses to help you improve the clinical dentistry they can provide for your patients. That's right. With our on-demand courses, you do these hands-on exercises when the time is right for you. So check us out on Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn at Dental Online Training. And hey, be sure to share this with your friends and colleagues who you think might benefit from this ShareCast and everything that DOT has to offer. And now, how about one of those coveted five-star ratings? Please go to your site and Help us by getting the word out to others, and we'd welcome one of those wonderful five-star ratings. This episode was created with special help from Claire O'Neill. It was edited by Ashley Dixon-Ellison and with original music by Chris Peterson. 
Again, thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Dennis Hartley, yours for better dentistry.